we're looking uh, again in chapter four and five. Hello, Tiffany. Um, John moves to the next scene after entering the heavenly throne room. And uh, the throne room is the source of all revelation. We've talked about that from Exodus 25, 21, and 22, where God's throne was there. That's where he said he would meet with Israel and discuss with them all the things that um, he, he would command them, et cetera. And so inasmuch as they gave the command to leave, um, and this is Daniel 4, 26, you have the same idea. So all of these examples of God speaking from heaven would be references to his speaking in the uh, in the throne room. And um, again, in Daniel 4 and verse 26, it says, and inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. So this is God ruling from the throne. Again, in um, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And, uh, you know, I'd read over that passage over and over and over again, or at least every time I read it, I never really associated with the fact that this is God on his throne uh, in, the, uh, in the most holy place and uh, speaking from his throne. We have the same thing in passages like Galatians 1 and verse 8. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. Uh, and Hebrews 12, 25, another passage. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape him who refused him who spoke on earth, which is a reference to uh, Moses, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, again, from the throne. Uh, and then in 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but unto us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you um, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into, 1 Peter 1 and 12. And then uh, the last one in Matthew 16, 17, another very familiar text. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So if we think of those passages from the perspective of uh, God speaking from the throne, uh, then we will, um, it, it will help us as we are looking at the book of Revelation, we see uh, this message where John has been called to the throne room, to the Holy of Holies, to receive this message from God. And so this is the place of God's throne. As he said in Isaiah 66 and verse 1, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? As you recall, in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, this text is quoted by Stephen and it's quoted relative to the temple. Uh, to show the contrast between the house that was made with hands versus the one that was not made with hands. As he said in verse 47, but Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, uh, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand built all these things? And, uh, and so <clears throat> in Psalm 111, the verse is four, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. 
Uh, again, Psalm 103 and verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Uh, it is the seat of the sovereignty of God. It's the place of his regal authority, uh, indicating the fact uh, of it as a kingdom, but also as, as the temple of God. And it is the place from which justice and judgment are dispensed. As Psalm 89 and verse 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So the apocalypse in its entirety uh, proceeds from the one who sits on the throne, and this throne was set in heaven. Now, uh, it speaks in verse 2, uh, just to give you some, uh, some of these passages, the one who sat on the throne. Uh, we have, and, and there are about 10 references in the uh, fourth chapter that mentioned the throne uh, specifically, if I counted correctly, and I may have missed one or two, but just 10 very specific mentions uh, and explicit mentions, and there are other allusions to it when it doesn't even mention it, but it's definitely referring to it. But you see the rainbow around the throne. Of course, that's a throwback to Genesis chapter three. I mean, excuse me, Genesis chapter nine, verses 13 through 17, where God's covenant protection, uh, his covenant protection from judgment of the impending um, events that were about to unfold in the book of Revelation. And uh, so it was not an escape from suffering for those who uh, were believers, but it was an exemption from the judgments that were going to come upon those who persecuted them. And of course, you have the 24 elders around the throne, which we spoke about, and from the throne proceeds thunderings, lightnings, and voices. Uh, before the throne was the sea of glass, again, representing uh, the fact of this being <clears throat> uh, Christ's throne. And in the midst of the throne and around it were these four living creatures. Um, in the King James Version, it will call them beasts. However, uh, a more accurate term would be beings. Uh, they are not beasts as later on as the book starts to talk about the persecutors, but these are creatures or living creatures um, indicated by the lion, which symbolized you know, courage and strength. The ox or calf means, the, uh, means endurance. The third creature was the face of man, which was intelligence, reason, and wisdom. And then you have the eagle with penetrating vision and swiftness in executing judgment. And so they praise God incessantly, uh, day and night. They give thanks to him who sits on the throne. And uh, this, of course, is Christ, because as the verse says in verse 8, um, they do not rest day nor night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I think when the statement is expressed that says who was, um, that goes back to Revelation 1 and verse 8. I think it's more of an ellipsis there uh, from my judgment where he says, I am he, uh, or I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So when it says, uh, I, uh, he who was in this verse of um, uh, verse 8, I think it's referring to the fact that he was dead, because you can't say that in terms of Christ as far as his existence, that he was, because the Bible speaks of him as I am. And the reference to Lord God Almighty would go back to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, of course, when he talks about unto us, a son is given, uh, a child is born, and uh, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so um, from that, we have the statement in verse 9, again, that he sits on the throne. So you have uh, sort of a tie-in of Zechariah 6 and verses 12 and 13, where it speaks of Christ who would be a priest on his throne. And because he lives forever and is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, it means that he has an unchangeable priesthood, but also that he has an unchangeable uh, kingdom, a kingdom that has no end, such as Isaiah 9 and verse 7 says, uh, the throne of God, it has no end. And that also ties into Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. And so as they uh, see the living creatures who are worshiping him, they cast down their thrones, indicating their submission to the one on the throne and to his uh, um, omniscient power and um, or omnipotence uh, in terms of power and also his uh, other attributes as a divine being. So this is all an acknowledgement of Christ, who he is, and as he sits on the throne. Now, the next statement that they make in verse 11 is that you are worthy. And this um, statement is uh, sort of a precursor to what comes up in chapter 5 um, in saying that um, he was worthy. In the first part of the declaration that he is worthy, uh, it speaks about he was worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Uh, Christ received glory and honor and power at his coronation. If you recall, uh, in the Gospel of John, I believe it's John chapter 12, he talked about the, the hour uh, for him to receive glory had come. And of course, he was referring to his death and his resurrection, because in his resurrection, he would be raised up to sit on uh, on the throne. And uh, of course, that's Acts chapter 2, uh, in his being raised up to sit on the throne, as was prophesied in uh, the book of First Samuel and also Chronicles that talks about the um, seed um, uh, being uh, the seed of David that would be raised to sit on the throne. Now, when you look at also in Luke chapter 24 and 25, uh, as Jesus talked to the two on the road to Emmaus, he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And so the glory of Christ is the kingdom of Christ. And again, um, you know, as they're saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. This is Christ, of course, in his glory, revealing himself as the one uh, that was spoken of before. And uh, when you also look in the 20th chapter of Matthew, uh, uh, verse 20, uh, remember the conversation between uh, the sons of Zebedee, actually their mother came and asked this question about Brett, that these my two sons sit the one on the right hand, the other on the left in your kingdom. And then when you look at Mark's gospel um, and uh, verse chapter 10 and verse 37, uh, it shows that the sons are actually asking the question. But the point is, they phrase it just slightly different at the end. They said, you know, grant us that we may sit the one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So glory and kingdom are used interchangeably there, and all those passages in the book of Matthew that talk about sitting on the, the uh, you know, in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory again in Matthew 25, 31, of course, would all be related to that. And so sitting on the throne in the kingdom 
uh, would be the same as sitting on the throne in his glory. And the reason given is because it says that he created all things and by him, uh, by his will, they exist and were created. Uh, that's Colossians 1 and verse 16, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And so Christ is worthy because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things, but even particularly uh, of the new creation as well. Now, why then was so much attention given to the throne in chapter four, and uh, which leads also into chapter five? I believe it's because the book of Revelation is about the judgment that was about to come, the imminent judgment of which the scriptures had spoken about. As you recall, back in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse uh, 17, Peter said, the time for the judgment has come, uh, or has come and must begin at the house of God. So there again is the house of God. There is God uh, revealing the information from his throne, uh, 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. But he's saying that the time for the judgment had come. And so as you see all these references to the throne and Christ on his throne, it takes us back to the statements also in the Gospel of John, where uh, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of God can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, uh, for whatever he does, the Son also does in the same manner or in like manner. Um, in that conversation, they were ready to kill Christ because he said that he was the son of God. And thus their claim was that he made himself equal with God. And so Jesus um, began to demonstrate that by teaching that God had given him the authority to judge. And of course, that's a prerogative only for one who was divine and therefore showing that the reason he was able to judge was because he had seen the father do it and he was going to uh, likewise judge in the same manner as the text says for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them even so the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son John 5 and verse uh, 22, and then he says that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son uh, does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. And so uh, I'll skip uh, one verse to verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life also in himself. So uh, from that perspective, he gave the authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So this um, example of the throne or all of these uh, passages that are referring to the throne and to what is about to unfold in chapter five and moving forward is the message of the judgment that was about to come, that imminent judgment of which we spoke on last week. And so in verse one of chapter five, the text says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now, this uh, takes us back to Ezekiel 
chapters one and two, particularly chapter two, when Ezekiel was about to be commissioned by God to go on his prophetic mission. And uh, it's very important to see that in its context from Ezekiel chapter two. So let's look at a couple of verses here. The text says, beginning in verse one, uh, and this is a throne appearance of God, uh, same creatures basically that we saw and we talked about those uh, earlier uh, in the previous lesson. But notice it says, he said to uh, me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Now, where is he speaking from? He's speaking from that throne room, from that chariot throne room that we see in um, Ezekiel chapter one. So the texts are similar, but you'll also see that there is similarity in the message uh, that is being spoken from this. So let's look and see what the message is. In verse two, the spirit, uh, then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me and he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. So what you have is God um, on the throne. You have the same type of appearance and um, magnificence that is expressed in uh, Revelation chapter 4. Here in Ezekiel chapter 1, when Ezekiel is commissioned to go to Israel, but his message is a message of judgment. It is a message to speak to them uh, concerning their transgressions against him, their rebellion against him, and he says they had done so till this very day. So in other words, God had extended his long-suffering to them uh, for years, and yet they had refused to respond, they had refused to, uh, to repent. And so many, uh, of course, in the nation. And so in verse four, it says, for they are impotent um, and stubborn children. I am sending you to them and uh, you shall slay, uh, say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they, are, they refuse, for they are rebellious. So you can see what the underlying theme is. God is speaking to the rebellious house of Israel. It's no coincidence that John, in the book of Revelation, is using the same imagery that we find here in Ezekiel, and the messages are pretty much the same. Um, for people who want to talk about the book of Revelation is about, you know, so many unrelated things that are projected out in the future, if we were to understand this connection between the throne room appearance and the um, calling of Ezekiel and the purpose of his message, that should direct us concerning the purpose of the message of the book of Revelation. And so in verse nine, it says, now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me and there was writing on the inside and on the outside written on it. Uh, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. So 
when we uh, go back to um, Revelation chapter 5 and we look at that verse, uh, how just absolutely, just almost, it's like you're reading Ezekiel in the book of Revelation. Of course, uh, that's where it's drawn from. But it says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel uh, claiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals. You know, as we said, uh, one of the lead-ins to this chapter is in verse 11, when it says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist. So that was a part of the response, uh, or, the, or at least the further inquiry to the question of who is worthy. But we've already been told that the Lord was worthy in the first part, and then we'll see uh, other reference, references to that. But I want to go back to Ezekiel for just another uh, couple of verses. When uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I have given you or that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Uh, and so he says to go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. So if we're really in tune to the message of Ezekiel that was sent to Israel uh, with or in view of the fact of God's promises through Jeremiah, etc., to bring judgment upon Jerusalem, then it would it should follow that as we're looking in the book of Revelation with a message that is directly from Ezekiel regarding this scroll, that John's message is about the lamentation and the woes that would come upon Jerusalem in the first century. That harmonizes with everything that has gone before in speaking about the churches, the very introduction of the book, and in what's going to follow uh, because we see direct allusions and references to uh, Jerusalem and its destruction in the book of Revelation. We'll get there, uh, you know, when we um, speak in those chapters. As a matter of fact, uh, when we get to chapter six, you know, we'll have, you know, one of the first references, I would say, specifically to uh, the fall of Jerusalem and to its destruction. But as we move forward, we will see even more of them, specifically in Revelation 11 and 2. Uh, that talks or uh, talks about the um, destruction of the temple, uh, Revelation 11, 8, the city where the Lord was crucified, of course, could be no other city than Jerusalem. And then the city uh, that would be avenged um, uh, on them, and even as we have some references to the beast as well. But all of those things, of course, would be developed in the upcoming uh, lessons that we will be presenting. But you can see then that the foundation is laid with uh, God speaking of this uh, of this throne. And so uh, in verse three, it says, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And of course, you've already seen from the fourth chapter that you had the four living creatures 
uh, who had these eyes all around and uh, indications of their wisdom, their strength, their power, et cetera, their swiftness and all. Uh, you had the 24 elders, of course, that uh, represented the priests. And yet the scripture says that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. And so John says, uh, said that he wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So this uh, demonstrates to us and shows to us that uh, it was Christ who was able to do so, as verse 6 says, and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders. So they're, you know, sort of doing a panoramic view of the throne and everything that's around the throne, looking at everyone who was in the presence. And he says, but in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven heads and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who was on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders uh, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sing a new song. So uh, it is the lamb who had been slain, who had the, uh, the authority to open the, um, open the scroll, to open its seals. And these seals, of course, are what we find in uh, the book of Revelation, as we see each of those seals being opened. And within each of those seals, you see the judgments that were expressed uh, in the opening of the seals. And so from that perspective, it gives us sort of an idea of what was about to unfold in terms of God's presence on the throne and also of the uh, lamb who was worthy to open that book and of the judgments that were going to follow based on those things that were found written in the scroll. Well, I think uh, I will stop at this particular point. We'll pick up here on next week and we will continue uh, looking at uh, chapter five and then um, from there, we'll move on into uh, to chapter six and uh, cover uh, some of the things that are found there. I want to thank you for listening this morning. Appreciate everybody's attention. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you in the next one. Be sure and share the, uh, the message. And um, this is William Bell saying you have a very, very pleasant uh, good morning. And